You are now listening to the Unstucked Podcast, where we teach you actionable steps to get unstuck in your life, career, finances, and business. Here's your host, Khalil Dumas. What's going on, Unstucked fam? If you're loving the podcast, be sure to visit unstuck.com for more resources, ways to work one-on-one with me and my company, Unstucked, as well as our free Unstucked guide to help you get unstuck in your career, life, finances, and business. I'm so happy you're here for the ride, and now on to the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Unstuck podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Dumas. I am so excited for this interview with a good friend and former college track teammate of mine, Nathan Devon. Nathan is a multimedia artist based in Portland, Oregon. He started his brand Devo Customs in 2016 and worked his way up to working with celebrities, athletes, and customers to create one-of-one garments. Nathan has half a million followers on TikTok, 34,000 followers on Instagram, and 4,000 followers on Pinterest. How's it going, Nathan? Man, happy to be here. Happy to be here. Good to talk with you. Hey, man. Thank you for and, and for a little bit of context here as well. We're actually recording at 830 at night. So Nate has agreed to do this late night recording, and I'm really grateful for it. So Nate, obviously, a lot of our listeners have most likely come across Devo Customs at some point. Tell us a little bit about your story, what led you to starting your business, and tell us a little bit about your nine to five as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So basically, going all the way back as a kid, I was really passionate about two things, and that was art and sports. And so when I wasn't running around outside kicking a ball or shooting a ball, I was inside watching cartoons and then drawing the cartoons I was watching. So really was lucky enough to find those two passions of mine super early and wanted to stay as close as I could to them kind of growing up. So I played three-sport athlete in high school, like you alluded to, uh, did track in college, So kind of kept that with me and then also did a fine arts minor while I was in college. So having that art piece stay consistent as well. But then, yeah, went out to the University of Portland where I ran track. And then when I got here in Portland, once I figured out that Nike and Adidas were both here, I made it my mission to land a role at at one of those two companies. So that meant kind of networking and, and was lucky enough to find my stride and get into one of those companies and I got in as an intern at Adidas after I graduated college and, you know, still intern phase, like you're not exactly sure what you want to do, but you're just kind of getting your feet wet. And that's when I met graphic designers. And for some reason, this job just, I didn't know it existed before where, you know, these people got to draw graphics all day and work at one of the best sports brands in the world. And like, that was, again, the perfect blending of the two. Then I made it my mission to, you know, really get in and, and try to land a graphic design role. What I figured out was it was pretty difficult. I was going up against really qualified candidates. Like I said, it's one of the best sports brands in the world. They're bringing in people who went to art school, already had prior experiences working at brands. And then on top of that, I had no technical skills. So I knew nothing about Photoshop and Illustrator. Basically, all the stuff I've done up to that point is just with my hands. So as you can imagine, the interviews and informationals didn't go super well, but you know, I still wanted to do it. And I figured out like I need to have my portfolio stand out and show, you know, I can do it, I can draw, but I'm gonna need some help with that technical side. But I do have a vision and I want to show that. And so that kind of you know made me start thinking like, how can I show that I have this vision just without the technical skills? And that's where like customizing clothes came into the picture. And so I was inspired on YouTube and I you know, figured out all the trials and tribulations of how to basically paint onto a garment. And so with that, I, I figured it out. I took my friend C-Flo, yeah, mutual friend of ours. Uh, we went and took some photos of my first piece of Lil Yachty. And then, yeah, posted that on Instagram. 
again, this is all for building a portfolio at this point. But when I posted that, you know, some people reached out like, hey, where can I buy this? And so that's where it kind of switched. And then again, started out small, kind of doing it for family and friends. And then it's kind of grown into what it is now. But yeah, that's basically the journey of where I am today. So kept with it. I love it. And Nate's very humble. And I, that's probably one of my favorite qualities about you because you found and been able to find so much success. Talk a little bit about when you were coming into Adidas, because I know a lot of folks have a lot of fear when they're looking to pivot into new industries, into new skill sets, and imposter syndrome tends to pop up, right? Why are you the one that should be qualified? Why should you deserve a shot over someone else? What did you do to keep that voice at bay? And what did you do to keep going? Man, that's a fantastic question. You know, I was definitely nervous. I think in the beginning, understanding that to kind of even get into the door at, at a Nike and Adidas, that recruiting process was really, really hard. And honestly, it comes down to a little bit of a stroke of luck, but you just got to put yourself in a position to be lucky. And so my first kind of bad at it, I actually didn't get into Adidas when I tried to get an internship my junior year. I actually ended up working uh, at Nike and getting an internship at Nike. And so what I did to kind of get my foot in the door is at the University of Portland, one student athlete is eligible to get an internship at Nike through this program we have. And it's a marketing internship. So already I was going against a smaller pool, right, of just student athletes. And then I was going against a smaller pool of marketing and business majors that were student athletes that were going for this internship. And so once the, I made my pool smaller, I also just contacted who got it before me and basically got the cheat codes and, and did all that kind of research because I knew I needed to go at this one harder because I had missed the Adidas one. And then kind of using all that, I got in and then I was able to leverage that Nike experience to get me into the door at, at Adidas. So honestly, I think kind of that recruitment process and the fact that I like got to the finish line was enough for me to like feel like I deserve to be here doesn't mean I wasn't kind of intimidated on day one and didn't have imposter syndrome, but I kind of came in with confidence, kind of knowing that like other people had gone through this as well. And, and the fact that I'm even in this door means something. And they really wanted me because I stood out in front of all of these other candidates. And so for me, I think it was that recruiting process. And once I got that monkey off my back, like I think I was, I was ready to go. So that was my personal experience with it. <laughs> Fantastic. And, you know, I think like Nate and I have a very similar journey. I did the same thing at Nike. No experience going meeting to meeting with one-on-ones with people with my career map. I attribute getting over imposter syndrome a little bit to being naive, a little bit to just being that beginner and really not knowing what to do, which led me to do a little bit of everything. And, and I love what you said. It was really just a little bit of a stroke of luck. You know, my followers definitely know that, you know, I always talk about this, that, you know, luck is just opportunity meets preparedness, you know, and if you're ready for the opportunity, as I know you were, you were someone that, right, ran D1 track and you were a multi-sport athlete, athletes are always taught to come prepared. And so I have to know that, you know, those two experiences played a factor. So can you talk a little bit about being an athlete and how that converts over into not only being a rock star at your nine to five, but also with your business? Yeah, I mean... I'd still use sports kind of as an analogy for everything. But yeah, I mean, it's just been a constant throughout my life. You know, I'm super kind of goal oriented. And, you know, in athletics, there's just so many goals. You know, I want to be all conference this year. I want our team to go to state. And so, you know, having that goal and like when I got to Portland, seeing Nike and Adidas there, like then I had the goal. And so kind of getting to that point when I was long jumping at University of Portland, I wanted to be the best long jumper there. I wanted to hold the school record. And so that was my goal. And I was I was going for it. 
I think one thing that I've just noticed recently about kind of the transfer of sport into my business and both my nine to five and, and what I do now is I actually was a multi-sport athlete, which I feel like is a little less common today. So like I would go from soccer practice to basketball games. I'd go from, you know, vice versa track meets right after I'd played like a full day of soccer. And like, it was crazy, but you know, I got to not only meet a whole bunch of different people and train in so many different ways. I just, I thought it was useful. And I, that cross training, I feel like really benefited my performance in, in my other sports. And not a lot of people are doing that, right? Like I was on a pretty competitive soccer team and most of those kids, soccer was just their thing. And so I've kind of brought that approach into my work now. So like I do a lot of custom jackets, but I've recently expanded into digital art, into NFTs. I I just got an airbrush. I'm going to learn that doing bleach work with bleach. And so like kind of finding these new mediums, finding these new markets and just, yeah, kind of trying to always learn and, and use what I've learned in other things. Uh, And then when it comes to bringing that to my nine to five, right, kind of having that same approach of cross-training, I'm talking to people that marketing people might not talk to. I'm talking to the development team, trying to learn how their communications with the factories work. I'm talking with designers. I can kind of empathize with them a little bit more since I come from that fine arts background. So yeah, that's another way I've seen my sports and business kind of transfer over, so... Fantastic. And, you know, that's a key lesson that you learn, you know, from going from an athlete to diving into businesses, you know, as a, as the multi-sport athlete as you were, right, like you were reiterating there, really being challenged and pushing the envelope, right, that's just your standard. And so you mentioned breaking into NFTs, which everyone, I know the moment you that came out of your mouth, there was probably half the listeners here, are like, I want to hear more about that. So can you talk a little bit about breaking into kind of an uncharted territory and what you're doing to stay focused and accelerating and excelling selling NFTs? I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it hit my radar. Definitely was a skeptic and dismissed it at first. But I think, you know, listening to, I listen to a lot of podcasts. So Gary Vee is a big one. You know, he was obviously super bullish about it. But I think when I saw more creatives really talk about it and like how much it's changed their lives, like that's what got me super excited as an artist and not just like from an investment standpoint. So um, that's when I really started to pay attention. Brands like the Hundreds, Bobby Hundreds, you know, obviously the Beeples of the world that kind of got it on my radar. and, And I tried to figure out what can I do about this? And so kind of went on a limb. My wife actually encouraged me, like bought a iPad, Apple Pencil, just started doodling, trying to learn Procreate and digital art. And then, you know, I wanted it to be something for me, like always trying to be a little bit different than what was out there. I wanted to be like more than just art and actually adding some utility to it. And so the owners of my pieces, you know, they're in a giveaway that happens twice every year, a free giveaway that they can win one of my custom hand-painted pieces. And so adding those little things behind it uh, was something that I wanted to do as well. And so once I kind of got all that organized, I sort of had a a coming out party and showed some of my NFTs that I had been working on. And yeah, it's been a whirlwind. It wasn't as easy as like putting work out there and just seeing sales come in, like definitely not the case. It's a whole different market. You know, the communication channels are are totally different. It's a lot Twitter-based and my following hasn't really made it over there yet. And so, yeah, I've been learning, but that's also been the fun part of it, right? Like, I like starting new things. I like learning new mediums. And so, like, it's almost given me more energy having to start at zero and and really learn it. And so, you know, out of survival, too, I like kind of learning these things, right? I really think, you know, crypto is the future. NFTs and, and the blockchain technology, I think, are here to stay. And so I almost want to do it out of survival so I'm not left in the dust. And I think 
that's also kind of given me motivation uh, and encouragement to keep pursuing this this opportunity. Absolutely. I do have to play a little bit of the crypto side. That's something that people ask. If someone someone were to ask you something about yourself that not many people know, you know, crypto is something that I've loved and been passionate about since 2016. It's something that honestly taught me more about our financial system than school ever did. On the flip side now, for your medium, it's taught us more about ownership and what it means to truly own and sell art. And so Talk a little bit about that piece, you know, really owning your art, especially as you break and start to blend art and business together. Yeah, I mean, I still don't think it's clicked for a lot of people yet, you know, how big this technology is and what digital ownership means. Like physical ownership, it's it's pretty obvious, like owning a sports trading card. There's a market there, there's that collectability. Not everyone's understood that like, if our world's moving more digital, these digital collector's items and, and just owning it is, is going to be all the more prominent. And so, yeah, I think it's a mentality shift that's going to happen. And so the fact that, you know, I own my art and I'm, you know, I've got royalties embedded in it. So when people trade it on a thriving secondary market, I think that's another big opportunity with artists and NFTs. I can get a kickback of some of those royalties. And so it's huge. Yeah, just owning a piece of it. It's definitely early and there's kind of a land grab uh, for some people, a cash grab uh, mentality. But, you know, I think having that that ownership is is huge and it's big for artists. I think especially photography is one that's kind of really made me understand how much it's flipping it on its head. Like back in 2017, when Instagram was first popping off, you had photographers doing amazing work and posting it on Instagram and just getting nothing but likes, which gives exposure, right? But like the fact that now you can sell that to somebody digitally, you can still post it and get the likes. You can still sell it to someone. Someone else can own that and then sell that. You get a kickback of the royalty. It just, it's just amazing for these artists. And so I think that whole kind of web two mentality is going to move into this ownership web three mentality. And and that's going to, I think artists are going to see a huge benefit in all mediums. So I'm excited. Absolutely. You're definitely on the forefront and I am so excited to continue watching you flourish there. Talk a little bit about what it's like to create art, physical art, and also operate a business. You know, my art today feels a lot like making TikToks, far from the art that you're doing, but how do you stay motivated and creative and also run your business? I know I have a lot of artists who follow me and this is something they're constantly asking me about is how do I stay motivated and creative with my art, but also how do I make sure that I'm not falling behind in my business and I'm still scaling? How do you find that balance? Are there certain things that you do to stay motivated and creative? Yeah, I think one, again, I'll probably quote Gary Vee 300 times in this interview, but... That's okay. We, we love Gary Vee here. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, document, don't create. And so... While I'm creating my art, I have this thing with me right here. Sorry if the audio is bad. And I just put my phone in it and I'm recording everything. I'm recording me painting it. I'm recording me shipping it. I'm recording every little thing. Even if something messes up, like I've had content where it's like, I messed up here and here's how I fixed it. Like I got everything recorded so I can chop that up and use it in content. Yeah, the fact that I just have that content there just waiting to be you know, edited is, is great. But yeah, I mean, the art piece for me comes naturally. Like I said, it's just a, a passion of mine you know, since I, I was little. And so I think staying motivated in that, I want this to be my full-time thing eventually. Um, and so that's kind of been the higher goal that I'm chasing. And then, yeah, document, don't create. And so I have yeah all this content. I know that exposure is, is what gets me customers and gets me to scale. And so it's just kind of a necessary part of it. And, you know, I do my art. And then once I have 
my videos, I can kind of edit that at certain times of the day where it's convenient for me. I think if you're an artist kind of struggling with that, like when do I find the time to edit? I'm always, I'm always painting. Try to find those different times. Like I'm a dad, I've got things to do. Like when I'm rocking my kid, like I can also edit a video on the side. Like that's the amazing part that social media does. And, <laughs> and that might be a little extreme for some people, but I think, you know, the fact that we just have our phones and social media at our disposal, like we just, we just got to use it. And so I think that's what, how I would answer that one. Absolutely love that. And I, I do want to give a little shout out to the parents out there because I do have followers who have kids and they tell me that that's the reason they're not going after their businesses and that's the reason they're not pushing the envelope. So what do you tell parents like that? How do you motivate them to take the step and, and start exploring not even maybe a business, but really their dreams and their goals? How have you been able to balance that? And also, how has it improved you as a parent? How has it made you a better parent running Devo Customs and you know working a fulfilled nine to five? Yeah, man, it's it's a lot. And I don't judge parents for any, especially moms, for doing anything or not or not pursuing anything. I think, you know, a few conversations that are not talked about or like I just think regret can sting a lot more than trying it and then failing. You know, I just that that conversation of, yeah, I was so passionate about this and I just never I never did it. And I think trying and then maybe realizing that like, okay, it's too much and failing, I think is better than living with that regret. So I think that's one thing I, I would say. Two, I think everything's a balance. And I think, you know, if it's something you're truly passionate about and gives you happiness, you know, I believe you know, your kids can see like you being happy and you pursuing something. And I think that can almost be like a learned behavior for your kids. Like, I hope that, you know, my kids can see me kind of driving for something and following my passion and want to do the same thing. And so maybe while I'm cutting out of time being with them, it's still kind of paying its dividends, I guess, in, in terms of their growth and development. And so that's something I think about as well. But at the same time, I, I'm a huge family guy. So I make time for it. Why we're recording this right now is because I just put my kids down, did you know the chores for the night. This is my time. This is my studio time. And so working really close with my partner to identify you know, what those times are just kind of getting after it that way. So I guess those would be my three takeaways. Don't underestimate the value of you chasing your dreams and having that passed down to your kids. And then also, yeah, the first thing I said, which was regret, how regret can sting sometimes harder. Absolutely. Well, staying on brand here, when you're stuck, whether that's in your nine to five or your business, do you have things that you do to get out of your rut or to get unstuck? Yeah. It's funny. Like I was thinking about these questions before this, obviously, and like, I don't know if I've truly felt stuck for a long period of time. I think the most recent time I felt stuck was I didn't actually, it was the first time ever in my business about a year ago. And I wrote about this in, in one of my books, but or I didn't have commissions like in my workflow that was ready to go. And so it was weird. I'd never not had an order to work on and I was getting nervous. I was like, what? Like, I'm not, I'm not growing. I'm not scaling. I don't rely on this to, you know, pay the bills, but still it's nice to, again, to have that in the, in the hopper. And what I did was actually use that time to explore different avenues. And so I was like, Instagram, TikTok maybe is a little slow for me right now. I'm going to try Pinterest. And so I grew a following on Pinterest and started posting stuff there. And then that's when I also started experimenting with a new medium. And I found the bleach technique that I'm using a lot today. And now that's a lot of my business, probably the majority. I think I'm this month I'm only doing bleach pieces. So in that stuck route, I guess I just went back to 
doing what felt natural and what was creating and trying and experimenting with new things. And that led me to find this whole new technique and process where I found like a new market, a new customer base, and it actually like exploded my business. And so, yeah, maybe just going back to what feels natural and, and creating and, and, and you know, what you're passionate about, I think that can help someone get unstuck. Absolutely. And you touched on it a little bit. Can you talk about what has TikTok and social media done for your business? When you think about the first post you ever posted to now, like that's such an amazing progression. Can you walk us through what that's done for you, TikTok and social media? Definitely. Yeah. I just could not imagine being an artist before social media in terms of dragging my physical art probably to a gallery or just like a street fair to have people come by and like really have to be like, hey, come over here, check this out and stuff. Like I'm meanwhile in my bed posting, basically showing my work to a virtual gallery, you know, through social media. I'm not dragging it anywhere. It's, it's just being broadcast to them. And so, you know, I think social media for all artists has truly changed the game. And I feel like if you grew up in it, kind of like you and I did, like I'm starting to really realize how powerful it is for artists and how many people that probably could never have afforded to be an artist can do it now. So yeah, just kind of breaking down those barriers. And then, you know, fast forwarding into TikTok, I mean, it's huge. So again, you know, where is the attention underpriced? And it's TikTok right now. And it was TikTok when I started, like, I think early 2020 is where I really started to kind of hit it hard and, and had a few go viral. And, you know, first post, it was definitely learning the platform, learning the ins and outs of it. But that organic reach was just like, yeah, you just got to use it. And so I think TikTok was, yeah, the way I could find that undervalued tension. And so, yeah, it's catapulted my business. I've had a video get up to 7 million views. It's been a monster. I can't recommend enough for people to get onto it, no matter what genre or what niche. Switching gears. So as you know, it's huge in the media right now. The great resignation, people fleeing their nine to fives. And you and I are very unique. We both have a flourishing business that we're really passionate about and a nine to five that suits us. So can you talk about how you found that balance between your nine to five and running a successful business? Totally, yeah. Like you and I said, we're definitely grateful to, to have nine to fives that we love. And I think something that struck me about Adidas from the day I joined, we really want to be the creator brand, the one, the brand that's, you know, enabling creators to, to do their best, whether that's even on the field and even off the field. Um, and you can see that from some of the people that we worked with, uh, you know, Kanye, other Stella McCartney, other designers. And so kind of when I got that, like, it felt like my business you know, sort of supported that mission. And so I kind of use that maybe for better or not as, as an excuse to also pursue my business, you know, with the nine to five and, you know, they can kind of balance each other out and help each other out. And so finding that balance, like, obviously I, I work my nine to five, um, you know, there are slow parts in the day, you know, that comes first when it comes to the nine to five schedule, but yeah, afterwards or during breaks or during lunch is where I'm finding times to maybe post about my business, do some of the things that, that aren't art-related, that take time and set time. Uh, and then the nights are times where I use for my uh, Devo Customs business. So that's sort of the balance I, I've established. And like I said, like I'm finding skills through both of these avenues, you know, working with a large sports brand and you know, we're always obsessing over the consumer. Uh, that consumer is a lot of the times the consumer I'm trying to serve in B Devo Customs as well. And so and the stuff that I'm finding out about Devo Customs and different social medias, different avenues to get exposure for my brand can then help. And, you know, I've actually been able to 
the other day upskill people on what NFTs are, basically lead like an intro to the metaverse presentation for you know 30 people on my team. And so it's hand in hand. And you know, I think if people can find opportunities that that help that and can almost work together, that's huge. And we brought up the great regs as nation. And I think it's not necessarily from people, you know, hating their jobs or, you know, there's there is an audience out there, but I just feel like there's also been created so many options for us. Like I think about Zappos as a company, you know, a lot of their people are fully remote and that just wasn't a thing in the past. You know, there's all these rideshare opportunities, DoorDash, like there's just so many options. And so I think like just these created options are actually what driving people to to resign and, and find just a better option to fit for them. And so I can't encourage the listeners enough to to see how they can integrate that into their their life. Absolutely. And that's a great point. And I think a lot of people have taken their rate resignation out of context or felt added pressure, right? That they need to make this grandiose action of, of quitting their nine to five. And so I know a lot of my listeners are in that bucket. So would you say that entrepreneurship is the answer? If someone is looking at starting a business, how would you recommend they start? Really want to know your take on those two questions. Man, I, th- I think it really depends on on that person. I think it can be if, if that's your goal, right? If that's your passion. I mean, I I just want people to follow what what their passion is. And, you know, if that leads you to the entrepreneurial route, then great. And maybe you take that route and you find out you're not an entrepreneur and you can be, you know, a great employee at a company and, and do really well and climb that corporate ladder about around something you're passionate about. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily putting pressure on people to start a business if they're not happy, but just really reevaluate, you know, what your passion is and and try to find what that is. And yeah, if it if it is starting your own thing, then definitely do it. Like I said, you know, I think regret stings. But yeah, I think looking to what that passion is should should be the guiding variable. And that's key. And I wanted to to give that perspective because my first episode was with Gabby, corporate quitter. And I like that you have this take as well to show people that there are options. And really the only options you should be weighing are the ones that work for your life and that make and bring you joy most of the time. And so, you know, for the folks that know as a matter of fact that, you know, business is not for them, can you find a nine to five that isn't toxic? And if so, what makes corporate culture toxic or not toxic in your experience? For sure. And this is another one where, like, you know, I wish I came from an environment that I thought was toxic in my pretty young working career. But what I have learned is that culture, you know, really starts at the top. And so I think to whatever is being the decisions that are being made at the top, I think trickle down into the behavior of the managers and ultimately the person managing you that can really make a toxic environment. And so I guess when you're evaluating nine to fives to look at the top, look at what decision are they making? Are they running their brand based on getting the best financial results at every 90 days for their stakeholders? Or are they running a brand that has a mission to, for example, be the best sports brand in the world? You know, something you think you can really get behind. Uh, how strong is that mission? If, if they have that mission, look into what are they actually doing to prove that? What are the receipts? And so I guess that's what I would look at to avoid getting into a toxic scenario. Because if, if you're at a company, you know, with maybe a weak mission or, or a BS mission that, you know, none of the actions map back to it, I feel like that's where it can get toxic. And that trickles down into someone putting pressure on you, people trying to, a cutthroat environment where everyone's just trying to make their way to the top. 
I guess that's what I would look at to try to avoid that toxicity. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the times you and I talk about this subject, it's for myself personally, it's employers that try to stuff you in a box and don't give you options or a clear path forward in your career. I think those two things should be a minimum at any job we work. The ability to learn from people above you, the ability to try new things. That was definitely something I appreciated at most of my places of employment was I got to wear a lot of different hats so I could really figure out what I was good at and, and what I wasn't. And there's a partly a reason that I'm speaking to you today is because I learned very quickly that marketing and podcasting and things like that were things that I really enjoyed, but didn't have a whole lot of experience in, similar to how when you started at Adidas. So I think that's key to having those experiences is having employers that see you as an individual rather than a number. And to Nate's point, if you see those red flags, if you see things not adding up, it's definitely time to ask questions or and or not work for those said employers. Nate, are there things, anything in general, as you have been growing your platform, as you've been developing as a person, is there anything that you want our listeners to know or check out or just learn from you right now? Yeah, just getting started. You know, I, I think that's the biggest step and what's holding people back. I get DMs and, and questions from a lot of people like, you know, I'm building this and I, I want to launch it, but I'm just a little nervous. I want to make sure it's perfect. And I just tell them, put it out there and, and build in public. I think all of those things of trying to perfect everything is are actually just kind of people being, you know, maybe a little insecure about what they're doing, which is totally fine and normal. But as soon as you put it out there, you have that accountability to work towards it and start. And so it's not easy, but I think getting started and finding a way and then, you know, maybe even failing fast is a good way to determine what route you want to take. So I'd say that I'd say, you know, yeah, regrets things <laughs> again. I think everything's worth it in, in this one life we all get. And then be true to yourself. I think that's another thing I wanted to highlight. So whether that's true with what your passion is, and maybe you need to do some soul searching to find what that passion is. I get a lot of DMs or, or questions like, how do I even find my passion? I always recommend going back in time to when you were a six, seven-year-old before all these influences of your parents or the media or you know, what you're consuming and what were you doing in those times. I think there's a little bit of your passion in that and, and, you know, trying to really understand what your passion is. And then, yeah, being true to yourself and your personality, I think that's a really great place to come from when you're creating content um, and some of the best content gets made. And so being yourself is your unique advantage. And so using that. That's killer. You said some fantastic things that I think really folks need to sit with. And, and the thing that really resonated with me, which, you know, in my trailer of the podcast I talk about is on social media, there really is only shown, right, the end result, the flashy results. No one shows the beginning or the struggle. And I love how you put that, right? You, you said it's fine to fail. And I always tell my followers that, you know, there's no such thing as failures, just lessons. And I truly believe that because the moment we see it as failures, right, that's our own projection of the experience and what's happened. And I love that you said build in public. And that is exactly what's going on in Web3. That is exactly what's causing platforms like TikTok to explode, right? Or people are, like yourself are showcasing all of their insecurities, but also all of their strengths at once. And so it gives you a more holistic picture of how to succeed, right? You don't get this just snapshot of perfection every single day. And so I think that is absolutely key. Nate, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you coming in on here. Definitely, guys, go give Nate a follow. I'm going to be putting all the links below so that you can go check out his website, check out his TikTok, Instagram. Nate is very well known, as you will be able to see very soon. Nate, thank you so much. This was a fun conversation. 
Thank you, man. Thanks for the opportunity. And best of luck with your endeavors, man. You're killing it for real. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Unstucked podcast. Visit us at unstucked.com and follow us on TikTok at Unstucked.